presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh, and today we're joined by Ken Arneson. Hello. Uh, hi, Ken. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, in a bit, Nick will be talking to Susan Slusser about the A's, um, but we've got Ken, who wrote the essay for the Baseball Perspectives Annual, uh, which, I, uh, because I don't play favorites, I don't say such things as... This is maybe my favorite essay that's ever run in an annual. I don't say that. <laughs> just, just to be clear. Uh, Ken, I have a quick question that's sort of not really related to the A's health. But uh, I remember a few years ago there was talk about Billy Bean like consulting on European soccer and he was going to bring like soccer metrics to the sport and, and change the game or something. Uh-huh. Does, do, does anybody ever talk about that anymore? Um, it comes up every once in a while because, uh, Lou Wolf owns the A's, also owns the San Jose Earthquakes. And, uh, you know, every time, any time that, uh, Billy Bean seems to disappear for a while, it, the, the joke seems to be, well, he's off playing soccer, his soccer metrics or something, but, uh, um, doesn't come up that much anymore, but it's still lurking in the background anytime you need that joke on Twitter or whatever. Uh, does he disappear very often? Because um, he sometimes. is sort of the, he is like the sort of the one celebrity GM who can go, you know, get $100,000 speaking fees and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes it seems like if you're paying attention, it seems more like David Forst is the guy who's running everything and Billy Bean's just a figurehead. Because whenever the trades come out, um, Billy Bean is... If it's a big trade, Billy Bean will be there to answer the questions. But if it's like sort of a minor trade or a minor piece of news, it's always David Forst who's answering the questions. I don't know. Um, It's hard to tell what the actual dynamic is in the A's front office, they're kind of, they don't leak information very yeah. well. Yeah. What, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because the, David Forst has been sort of a, uh, a guy who's been seen as qualified to be a GM for many, many years, uh, and, and has stayed in a, uh, you know, a secondary role, uh, you know, a, a second in command role with the A's all this time. What do you think has kept him in Oakland? Cause he does seem like the sort of GM who, a lot of teams would happily hire and put a lot of hope in. I have no idea. Um, it's, you know, there's only 30 jobs, I guess. And uh, I suppose eventually he'll get his turn or maybe there's a succession plan in Oakland and uh, he's just waiting for his chance there. I don't know. All right. So uh, turning to this team, uh, the actual A's team, um, how much how much regression from Josh Donaldson and and Jed Lowry do you expect the A's 
have to make up for this year, or do you not expect them to have to make up for much regression there? Um, some. Uh, I wouldn't expect Donaldson to hit like that uh, all year long again. Um, maybe he will, but I wouldn't expect it. And I wouldn't expect Lowry to stay healthy all year long either, which is probably why they acquired Nick Punto to have a actual backup shortstop who can play shortstop. Um, but at the same time, Ioannis Cespedes and Josh Reddick really did not have very good years, and they're they're both capable of having better years this year, I think. Particularly Reddick, who uh, played almost all year with an injured wrist. So I think we'll get a bounce back from Reddick and Cespedes is really the big question mark on the team this year. I think he's there's an article today uh, in the Chronicle about how he's um, trying to shorten his swing because um, he's got this really big loopy swing and um, pitchers uh, had been going upstairs on him with high fastballs and he just they found like he had this hole in his swing with the high fastballs and they were just going high fastball on him and he'd swing through him. And then with two strikes, you know, he had to gear up for that and made him vulnerable to the breaking pitch down and away. And he had a much worse year, his second season than his first season. And so if he can shorten that swing and uh, not be so vulnerable to both the high fastball and those breaking pitches down and away and make a little more contact, um, he could have a much better year, but if he has a hard time making that adjustment, then he may struggle just as much this year as he did last year. We'll have to see. seems like Derek Norris has been a popular breakout player pick this spring, and I'm never never really sure what the parameters are for, for breakout players in that a, a lot of them were sort of pretty good the, the previous season. Norris was, was not bad last year, but... Uh, are you on board that train? Do you see some sort of Norris breakout coming? Yeah, it's interesting. He's got really huge splits. Like he crushes left-handed pitchers, and his right hand, his numbers against right-handed pitchers were not very good at all. If he can come up and just be sort of okay against right-handed pitchers, he will have very good stats and could be a um, breakout candidate. I think. Um, question is whether he's going to get the playing time against those right-handed um, pitchers because mm-hmm. he's in a platoon with John Jaso and or Stephen Vogt, depending on uh, whether they actually use Jaso as a catcher, which was kind of the question. It sounds like they are going to use Jaso as a catcher, and which means Vogt will probably get sent down to the minors, but it's still a platoon situation, so... So, I, so that I, real quick, uh, real okay. quick on that, are, are Jaso's concussion problems considered to be completely behind him at this point? That's what I hear, um, but you know, that's one of those things. One foul ball, and then it's back, and then you're in the same boat again. Uh, so, speaking of platoons, when when people talk about what Moneyball used to be in you know ten words or less, they always say, "Oh, it's." High on, high on base percentage players. And when they talk about what Moneyball is now, they say that it's high flexibility players, players who can 
uh, play multiple positions or just sort of having a flexible roster and being able to mix and match parts and platoon. Is that a fair description of, of the A's inefficiency strategy now, at least as fair as the, the high OBP players once was? Yeah, it seems to be. And they've gone through, I think, since Moneyball, a couple stages. Like, there was one stage where they were going for defense. They seemed to be, that seemed to be the cheap thing to acquire. And then then there was this stage, like, 2008 to 2011, where they started going after these guys who were one year from free agency, like Josh Willingham and David DeJesus and guys like that. And... uh now it seems to be the flexibility, and uh, which you know I I enjoy it because you you hate watching a team that has these big holes in the bottom of the lineup, and the A's don't have that now. There's everybody from one to nine can do some damage with the bat, particularly in the if they're platooned right. It's interesting that their flexibility doesn't it doesn't seem to necessarily be that they're that they're acquiring guys with flexibility entirely so much as they're just kind of comfortable working guys into positions you know like like uh Donaldson is of course a kind of a classic example of a guy who made a, a big position change but like Moss wasn't really a first baseman at the time and well, maybe I'm wrong. Now that I'm looking at this, I'm not sure I'm right. <laughs> it does seem like they get guys who have multiple position eligibility. So I guess the, the the thing is that they get all these platoons in there, and, and platoons seem to be um, you know, uh, endangered in baseball for a couple of decades as the relievers took over the game, as, as if everybody started carrying seven-man relievers, but uh, seven-man bullpens. But the A's managed to have you know a lot of platoons w- without without giving up that that bullpen right and so that's where the flexibility comes in more or less yeah i'd say so um then they also get uh not only platoons but switch hitters they have a whole bunch of switch hitters on their team which um when in the late innings when those relievers come in and they start doing matchups it makes it hard for the other team to match up against the a's because they've got switch hitters uh dispersed all throughout the lineup so maybe this is one reason why we we failed to project the the 2012 A's accurately and why that team surprised everyone. But now that we are talking about this strategy, if it is in fact the strategy, does that mean that it's time for the A's to do something different? Or is there still some lag time between our realizing what they're doing and uh, the rest of the league adjusting? Yeah, maybe. I it. I noticed, interestingly, this year, I mean, last year, the A's pitching staff was, except for Dan Otero, entirely a flyball pitching staff. And this year, they went out and got a bunch of pitchers, and almost all of the pitchers they got were ground ball pitchers. Jim Johnson, Luke Gregerson, Scott Kazmir used to be a flyball pitcher, but has turned into a ground ball pitcher in his rebirth and so I don't know what that means. Um, the A's infield defense was not, that was probably the weakness of their team last year, but because they had so many fly ball pitchers, it didn't really matter. Um, so I'm interested to see, I mean, they basically have the same infield defense this year, and but they have a lot more ground ball pitchers, so I don't know um, what that means. I'm interested to see how that plays out. There were a few explanations put forth for for 
the fact that Billy Bean signed expensive relievers this winter. What was what was your interpretation of that apparent change in philosophy? Um, well, part of it, I think, is that the TV money came in and they've got an extra $25 million or maybe you cut that in half and say you spend half of your revenues on on players you got an extra 13 million in your budget suddenly and they basically only had two holes to fill which was to replace grant balfour and replace bartolo cologne and so they used that money to fill those two holes and so i don't know i mean and they're short-term commitments so i don't know that it was really that big of a change in philosophy So last week, Sam wrote an article for BP about each team's rotation depth, and he looked at uh, who would be each team's sixth and seventh starters, hypothetically, uh, and and how they would project to perform. And the A's were on the top of that list as far as rotation depth goes. Uh, And on the very same day that that article came out, we found out that uh, Jared Parker was having forearm stiffness and A.J. Griffin was having elbow issues. Uh, now, Monday afternoon, uh, we find out the, the worst case scenario for Parker comes true. He will have to have a second Tommy John surgery and will be out for the season. Uh, Griffin, we don't know all the details yet. And Scott Casimir now has some sort of minor triceps stiffness. So uh, yeah. <laughs> how big a blow is, is all of this? Where does the rotation stand right now? Uh, yeah, Parker is a pretty big blow. Yeah, I think he was going to be their best pitcher. Pakoda didn't seem to think he was their best pitcher, but uh, um, Parker, except for in April where he uh, was fighting some sort of a stiff neck and didn't pitch very well, and then towards the end of the season, like the last two or three starts in September where these this elbow issue cropped up, um, other than those periods in the middle, from like the middle of May to uh, the middle of September, I think he was uh, one of the best pitchers in the American League. Um, and in my mind, I was counting on him as being basically the ace of the staff. And now you're um, dropping off from the best pitcher on your staff to the sixth best pitcher on your staff. And that's quite a blow. Uh, as for Griffin, um, I don't think the difference between Griffin and Tommy Malone or Jesse Chavez is that great. Um, I don't see where that's going to hurt the A's so much as losing Parker would. But then again, if if Griffin's out a long time and if this tricep issue with Casimir, which came up today, um, is a problem, then you're dipping into your sixth, seventh, eighth starters, and that's going to be end up being a problem when you're competing in a tough division like the American League West. Mm-hmm. So um, if you told me at the beginning of the offseason that Bartolo Colon would sign for two years and, and $20 million, that would have seemed like a contract the A's would have been happy to give him. He's pitched so well for them. That's been a good environment for him. He seems to be well-liked. Um so do you think that uh, the decision to go with Casimir instead of Cologne was uh, just a reflection of not knowing what Cologne was going to ultimately get and, not, and, and just sort of wanting to lock that position down a little earlier? Or was there something more to it in terms of uh, you know the A's actually 
deciding that Casimir was was the better pitcher going forward and that that he fit their needs more. Yeah, I don't think they wanted to give him two years. He was great from April through about uh, the end of July or so. And then he went through this phase at the beginning of August where his velocity dropped like five miles an hour and um, he was struggling. And then eventually they put him on the DL with a groin strain. And I put air quotes around that groin strain because I don't know if it was really a groin strain or just he had a dead arm and they wanted to arrest him. But um, I think they're concerned about that. And giving him two years was probably something they were leery of doing just curious are you putting the quotes around groin or around (laughs) or around strain uh both i guess was two sets of quotes or (laughs) two two set one well one set of quote for two words good to know (laughs) um so uh sam wrote about the a's clubhouse chemistry last last season and as you mentioned, the A's are, are pretty closed-mouthed. Uh, they they did not come out and say that they have been targeting good chemistry guys. And yet it seems like they have this sort of mix of guys who get along year after year. And possibly that's part of the, the platooning strategy is that they want to have people who are happy enough to be there that they're okay with not playing full-time. Mm-hmm. As someone who, who follows the team closely do you get the sense that that this is an intentional strategy well yeah it's kind of interesting that they ever since uh milton bradley was on the team they've kind of avoided those types of players Uh um that may have may have scared him off (laughs) um the troublesome player uh market i think Mm um i don't know if that's the case but it it seems like he was the last player of a sketchy reputation that they have acquired. Uh-huh. Um, so recently Lou Wolf uh, said that the, the latest possibility if the A's can't stay at the Coliseum or don't want to is a temporary stadium uh, uh-huh. with the, the San Jose <laughs> issues still unresolved. Uh, is, is that better than the team leaving town entirely is that a realistic possibility, or how do you see this whole ballpark mess playing out? Uh, yeah, it is a mess. Um, the The temporary thing would come into play if the Raiders and the Coliseum um, make a deal to build a new Raiders stadium on the same footprint as the current Coliseum. If that happens, then the A's have nowhere to play. Um and so they'd need to go somewhere. And so they're obviously making contingency plans for that. And uh, I don't know <clears throat> what it would take to build a temporary ballpark somewhere in the Bay Area. Um, there's the possibility of playing in um, Sacramento, where the AAA team plays. And I guess there are various places in the Bay Area you could build some sort of temporary ballpark. One of them would be right next door to the new earthquake stadium that's being built in San Jose, but I would imagine they wouldn't get permission to do that unless they were actually moving to San Jose. So I don't know how that's going to play out. There's lots of moving parts there. Uh, and I guess my my last question, uh, Billy Burns right now in spring training through 17 games and 58 plate appearances has a 
345 on base percentage, uh, but a 255 slugging with no extra base hits and eight stolen bases. Uh, is that what you think Billy Burns' major leaguer would look like, or what, what do you expect out of him? Yeah, I've only seen him play one game um, on TV in spring training, so I don't really have that strong an opinion about him, but um, it sounds like he's just that sort of player he's no power um hopefully he hits a lot of ground balls and gets on base with his speed and causes a lot of havoc um i don't expect to see him in oakland this year very much unless you get injuries to both coco crisp and craig gentry but um he's probably uh and it's interesting because the A's acquired they acquired Craig Gentry basically to back up Coco Crisp and I was thinking at the time it was kind of like a succession plan because Crisp was going to be a free agent at the end of this year but uh, after they acquired Gentry and Burns they uh, signed Coco Crisp to a two-year extension so I don't know where there's room on the roster for Burns to actually come up and play in Oakland the next couple of years. So um, he's basically the sixth outfielder, I would guess, and uh, uh, probably won't get a lot of playing time unless there's some injuries. And uh, with Crisp, just curious, he he had 22 home runs last year. Um, yeah, the hit tracker uh, that measures home run distance uh, has him not only as the shortest average home run in baseball, but the shortest average home run by like 15 feet per home run, which is the gap from the second lowest to like the 12th highest. Right. Uh, so is there, I mean, obviously Crisp's value doesn't necessarily have to, to come from home runs, but is there any chance that he hits more than 11 again? It, like, did you, did he have a different approach or was this just completely the result of, of wall scrapers? Yeah, it, um, very nearly every single home run he hit was right down the line by the foul pole. Um, so uh, I wouldn't expect maybe more than 11, but probably not more than 15. Uh, 22 well, is, is he, out of the question. But is he? Does he have an approach that um, that he can keep doing that? I mean, is is that something that he's sort of just capable of doing now? Does he like? Is there a certain uh, pitch that he's, he uh, zeroes in on and, and just pokes down into that shortest part? Or, yeah, or is if, that... they, if, if they try to pitch him inside and, and jam him, he can get his hands around that and just pull it right down the line and, you know, just barely over the fence for a home run. But, um, you know, I can't remember any of the home runs that he hit that were like to left center or right center. That just doesn't happen. So... If the pitchers want to um, stay away from that, they can. He's not going to hit any home runs the opposite way. They just have to pitch him outside, and he'll slap it to left field or the opposite field, and uh, take his single. But kind of, uh, it's kind of a game theory thing there, where you you take that risk of maybe him hitting a home run if you pitch him inside, and uh, versus him getting on and stealing bases and causing havoc that way. Hey, Ken, one more for me. In your essay, you said uh, 
if you project out this 2014 team with so many key players with one or two years of service time, Billy Bean will have an interesting dilemma. He can ride this group the full six years and risk having to do a full rebuild later, or he can try to sustain a consistent level of quality over a longer time by being more ruthless than ever in flipping good players piece by piece as they reach their peak trade values. Uh, If you had to speculate which of those routes is more likely? Um, If they keep winning, I would say he's just going to stick with the team and... and, uh write it out um if for some reason it falls apart one season uh he's gonna rip the team apart i think it it all depends on um how competitive they are with the team i think if they keep winning and um he'll write it out and then when they get too expensive it'll be a painful period afterward um but uh we'll take that trade-off all right, so that leads nicely into the prediction. Uh, how many wins are they going to get this year? If Parker was going to pitch every for the whole season, I would say 92 wins without him. Uh, I would probably drop it to 89, 90 wins. And now thinking about if Kazmer is going to have trouble, that I'm thinking Pakoda might be right in 87 is <laughs> probably the... Uh, the right number to predict um but i'm going to be optimistic and uh let's stick with 90 (laughs) okay all right (laughs) we'll go with that pending further pitcher injuries yes (laughs) (laughs) um okay well thanks for coming on ken uh my pleasure uh, people can read Ken's essay in the BP Annual. They can follow him on Twitter at Ken Arneson, K-E-N-A-R-N-E-S-O-N. Uh, where can people read your other writing right now, Ken? Uh, I have a blog at ken.arneson.name. All right. Uh, so check that out. And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Sign up for the Play Index. Use the coupon code BP to get a one-year subscription at a discounted price of $30. By the way, a pretty cool offer that we announced at Baseball Prospectus on Monday. If you are a BP premium or super premium subscriber and you have not yet signed up for MLB TV, you can do so now at a 20% discount. Uh, Just log into your BP account. You'll see a coupon code there. You'll see a link to click. Just follow that. Go to MLB TV and register. And you get 20% off, which, uh, you know, at, at $129.99 list price is a, a savings of $26, which is most of the price of a BP subscription. If you uh, are going to take advantage of this offer, you get a BP premium subscription really for, for an additional $13, $14, you know, just over a dollar per month. So it's a pretty good offer. I know that many of you have already had your MLB TV subscriptions auto-renewed. Unfortunately, we were not able to get this deal worked out earlier this year, although we hope to next year. Uh, but if you have been holding off on MLB TV or a BP subscription, this is a good reason to take advantage of both. And now stay tuned for Nick talking to Susan Slusser. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Susan Slusser, A's beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Susan, how's spring training been so far? Well, these are always interesting, which is one of the best parts of my job. There's always plenty to write about. Unfortunately, the first real news of the spring came this week when they 
said they're sending Jared Parker to see Dr. Andrews, never yeah. good, and that A.J. Griffin is being, being shut down for three weeks with flexor tendonitis, which, as you know, can can be sort of more of a concern down the line if, if he does not respond to the rest. So, uh, yeah, besides that, it's been fairly quiet, but it's, they have the makings of having yet another good team. So you mentioned Parker and Griffin likely to miss opening day. The A's will look to Tommy Malone, Je- Jesse Chavez, and maybe Drew Pomeranz to round out the rotation. Do you think those guys will be good enough to help the A's avoid a slow start to the season? Well, Jesse Chavez is kind of one of the unsung heroes of the A's team last year, pitching in long relief. He had some mm-hmm. very nice outings. He has the stuff to be a starter. He's a guy with four quality pitches and a very good cutter that has done nothing but improve in the last year and he's he's looked terrific this spring uh, i think he had a shot of maybe even making the rotation even with if everyone had had full health he's mm-hmm. had he's had that good a spring um tommy malone obviously is a known quantity with 25 wins the last two years for the a's so i don't think that they have any trepidation about plotting him into the rotation if needed parker is still a little bit up in the air uh, you know, he, it's entirely possible that Dr. Andrew says, you know, you're fine. It's just a little, uh, you know, a little strain or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're entirely writing off Parker for the start of the season. Uh, but Malone's good to go if needed. Um, but they they have great pitching depth, uh, certainly in the rotation and, and maybe even more so in the bullpen. Um, Pomerantz, I think, is probably, probably a, a guy they look to maybe start the season at Sacramento. He's uh-huh. still maturing he's coming to a new organization um he's, he's in the mix for one of the bullpen slot, slots with chavez moving out and uh but i think with with tommy malone and chavez both pitching at the big league level they're going to need starters at sacramento anyway last year was a pretty prototypical oakland season they put together a solid team won 96 games but then lost in the alds the angels rangers and mariners have all had pretty active off seasons so the al west should be really competitive this year the A's didn't change much on offense. Their biggest additions were Craig Gentry, Nick Punto, and Sam Folds. But they did add Scott Casimir, Drew Pomeranz, and Jim Johnson to the pitching staff. How can they improve on last year without being quite as aggressive as their division rivals have been this offseason? Well, I think, you know, if you look at it and kind of we always try to figure out what the new money ball is every yeah. year. In the last <laughs> two years, it was sort of depth and flexibility. Uh-huh. This year, it was clearly relievers. Yeah. Um, and along with Johnson... They add Luke Gregerson, who is about as good a, a setup guy as there is. Uh, and uh, Erico Flaherty, very sort of mm-hmm. under the radar signing, a two year deal. And he should be ready maybe even as soon as early June. Um, so their bullpen is going to be off the charts good. They already had, you know, Sean Doolittle, Ryan Cook have established themselves as good big league setup men. Dan Otero had kind of a breakthrough last year last year, so he's a potential guy in setup. Uh, they really have four, maybe even five setup guys once the clarity comes back. So that is, uh, that's really the strength and really the big ads. But Gentry is interesting because they traded Michael Choice for him, which opened some eyes. He was, you know, probably their, their, uh, second most high profile prospect after Addison Russell and clearly their, their top outfield prospect mm-hmm. getting very close to the big leagues and in fact probably will break camp with the Rangers. Uh, and so you look at it and you go, why would you trade that guy for, for a fourth or fifth outfield? fielder type like Gentry, but what the A's have determined is that Coco Crisp is such a valuable part of their team. Mm -hmm. They had the biggest drop-off when he is out of the lineup, and Craig Gentry, there's zero drop-off defensively if if Crisp is out and Gentry's in center, Uh, and he's also a pretty good offensive piece for a guy who comes off the bench, and he knows the role. Last year, Chris Young just could never get adjusted to not being an everyday player. Some guys can do that role and some guys can't and they feel like Gentry is one of the best around at doing it 
And that was that's very valuable for the A's, valuable enough to give up a guy like Michael Choice. That could wind up being one that comes back to bite him down the road if, you know, certainly the Andre Ethier deal. Uh, everybody <laughs> loves that from a long time back with uh, bringing Milton Bradley over here. But at the time, Milton Bradley was exactly what the A's needed. They made it all the way to the ALCS that year as a result. Uh, and I think they, they would tell you now that, that that was pretty much what they were hoping for. They were focused on that year and what they could do. They knew they had a window, and I think they feel like they have a window now that they're trying to take advantage of. The flexibility has really been key for them the past couple of years. Brandon Moss is the kind of player who really benefits from that. He followed up a breakout 2012 with another solid season. This time he hit well in 500 plate appearances as opposed to 296 the year before. However, he was still used almost entirely against right-handers, didn't really show any ability to hit lefties. Is there any way he could manage to get a full-time role, or will he continue to be just a really good platoon player? Yeah, I think that these are big on the platoon thing mm-hmm. and for a reason. I think they yeah. feel like they are putting uh, their platoon players in the best position to succeed. Obviously, if you're a left-handed hitter and you're in a platoon, you're still getting the bulk of the at-bats. Yeah, 500 uh, and, and, <laughs> Yeah, had a, and a very nice year by Brandon Moss. But, I, you know, it, Bob Melvin is usually tends if a guy starts the game, he will usually keep him in there. He doesn't necessarily platoon to the extent where, you know, if if the left-hander comes in the game, he takes Brandon Moss out. He'll still Mm -hmm. get some at-bats against left-handers, just not a lot. Uh, But I think, you know, we'll we'll probably see him DHing a lot, and I think um, Derek Barton could be the left-handed option at first base a lot early in the season. Uh, I know they would like to keep him on the roster if possible, and I think that's, that's probably the way they're leaning right now. Um, and then Alberto Cayaspo might be getting, uh, who's a switch hitter, obviously, but I think he might be getting a lot of the right-handed at bats at first base. A little bit of a work in progress there and probably doesn't really profile as a first baseman given his size. Um, but I think they feel like offensively that might be their best platoon option, at least starting off the season. But, you know, the A's, they are not at all hesitant to bring guys up and down, make lots of moves. I think we could see a lot of people in a lot of different platoons this year. Over the past few years, Josh Donaldson has gone from a backup catcher to one of the best third basemen in all of baseball and an MVP candidate last year. Were there any signs that he had that type of potential, and do you think he can replicate that 2013 season this year? Well, certainly when he was still catching, there was no signs of that. Yeah. We thought he was a, a very nice kid who was probably, a, you know, almost like a 4A kind of catcher. and He would come up and not show a lot and, and go back down, and, and um, we, we, we didn't really know if there was much there. And then when he wound up having to come in and, and take over the third base job. He really, you know, he's the sensational defensive player. There's no doubt about that. I don't think anybody had any idea that he was going to turn out to be that good at third baseman, especially converting from catcher. Um, but offensively, something clicked for him in the middle of 2012, uh, and he's really been consistently a good producer since then. He, he realized that he was trying to cover the entire fight, and he would simplify his life a lot if he looked either inside half or outside half before their, before two strikes. Um, and it, it it was just sort of the one little thing that he needed as a trigger to turn things around and give him confidence, and it worked. And he's carried it through, and he still has that approach even now. He obviously, you know, with two strikes, he's a little bit of a different hitter than that, but uh, he's a very good two-strike hitter, too. So I think, um, and scouts all think, there's no reason to expect that he would change because it's really been more than a year. It was the, the last yeah. month or two of 2012. He, he really started to turn around, and he has not looked much different since. I know a lot of people point out that the, play, the playoffs, he kind of took a dive in, in terms of his numbers, not, not his defense, obviously. But, um, you know, that was against a, a Tigers pitching staff that's just on the A's in the postseason. So I think we can throw that out. 
Ioannis Cespedes has been working on shortening, shortening up his swing this spring. What led to that change, and how successful has it been so far? Um, not successful in terms of results. I yeah. think the A's feel like um, he's starting to become more comfortable with it, mm-hmm. which was the idea. Uh, it's interesting because you talk to scouts, and scouts aren't seeing that he's cutting down his swing. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more subtle than that. Uh, you know, he's maybe starting his swing a little bit lower than he did to be a little bit quicker to the ball. Uh, he shortened up his stride a little bit by necessity. Long stride and a shorter swing don't, don't go too well. And that timing has still been very difficult for him to figure out. So uh, Chili Davis is that it gets a little better every day. And he's sort of hoping that maybe it really starts to click in with about two or three days left to go here in Arizona. And then he carries it into the Bay Bridge series and into the season that's sort of the idea. And then, and Cespedes said, yeah, it's a little frustrating because he's not seeing the results, but he said, and this is interesting, whether it's his swing is long or short, he's, he's ready to have a big season this year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't feel comfortable with it by the time the season starts. I would not be surprised at all if he kind of scrapped it. Yeah. Well, you see pitchers a lot of the time in spring training working on their timing. That's something that you just need to keep developing and will get better um, as you keep playing more. Yeah, I you know I think so. It's a, I mean this guy has had a big long swing his entire career, including yeah. <laughs> Cuba. It's a lot to ask to cut down. It's a ferocious swing, and you know really I don't think that the idea is to cut down on the ferocity. I think it would mm-hmm. still be one of the hardest swings in the game. It's just maybe starting a little bit further down, getting a little bit. I, Chili Davis describes it as more like punching through the ball mm-hmm. rather than taking the big, long, sort of looping swing to get to the ball. He does not think that that's going to lead to any sort of decrease in bat speed or really even any less of power, just better contact and more consistent contact. One of their big additions, Scott Casimir, had a really great season last year, was amazing in September, but had trouble pitching deep into games. Do the A's think they can get some more innings out of him this year? Uh, well, I think that, you know, one of the, the reasons that they beefed up the bullpen was not just Casimir, but mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, with all their young pitchers and so many innings, I think they look at it as um, they don't really need any of their starters to go more than five, six innings uh, at the most because they are so deep in the pen. And this is a move that really could help the entire pitching staff to be this deep in the bullpen. I think they will be careful with Casimir. Uh, Kazmir, even down the stretch and into the playoffs last year, was sort of a, sometimes an even day-to-day proposition on whether he'd be ready to go or not. So, uh, you know, this is a guy who uh, is going to be very key for them. Look, I mean, he's essentially taking over the spot of a guy who won 18 games last year. They don't expect him to win 18 games, but I think double-digit wins and being an experienced sort of stabilizing force on a very young rotation – um, and making a lot of starts, not necessarily going deep into games, mm-hmm. but uh, if he's available for you know, 28, 32 starts, I think they'd be very happy. So one last question. Uh, Oakland always seems to have someone who comes out of nowhere and has an excellent season. Who do you think has a chance to have that type of season in 2014? Well, you know, the positions are so set. Um, mm-hmm. It's really it's really hard to say. I think it would be what the A's would really like to see is with John Jason missing the final Two months of last year, he's now back completely healthy after mm-hmm. that concussion, very yeah. severe concussion. Uh, and I think at some point he, if uh, Stephen Vogt does make the roster at some point, which I don't think initially he'll, he'll be on the roster because he's out of options, the A's love to maximize their uh, roster flexibility. I think that uh, Vogt will be up at some point, and then Jason probably becomes a uh, fairly regular DH. He's such a, you know, he's not a big power numbers guy, but he is a great on-base percentage hitter and runs the base as well. 
I, I could see him, if he's freed up really just to hit, having a very nice season. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Susan, thanks for coming on the show. Fantastic, my pleasure. All right, have a good rest of spring training. Thank you. That was Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. You can read Susan at blog.sfgate.com athletics or follow her on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Tomorrow I'll be discussing the San Francisco Giants with Dave Fleming, play-by-play announcer for the Giants radio broadcasts on KNBR.